Good morning. My name is Jim Coons, for those of you that don't know me. I'm a home group leader here. I've also been privileged to walk alongside Justin Jordan for about the last 13 years, and I'm also an elder here at RLM Treasure Valley. As you know, we've been doing a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, and in Galatians 5, and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And when I was young in my faith, I misread that section. I thought of it as fruits of the Spirit, not fruit of the Spirit. So the best analogy I've heard to describe the fruit of the Spirit is an orange. It's a single fruit with nine wedges or nine segments. And they're all interwoven together. And as Joe has shared last week, the fruit of the Spirit isn't a gift. It's actually a set of virtues that we're all called upon to work on and to cultivate. These virtues are interwoven, and we're called to model Christ's love by working on all of them. And Justin and Joe have both done a great job every week sharing how we can't choose one or two, like, love or joy, and neglect some we don't like, for example, patience and self-control. Let me show, tell you of an example of where I failed in that area. I've been blessed with a wonderful wife, Debbie, of over 35 years, 36 years in September. She's walked alongside me the whole time. And for those of you that know me and know Deb, you'll know that I definitely married up. I mean, big time. I was truly blessed when I found her. Um, there have been times in our life when she'd come home from work or something, or I'd come home from work, and she was frustrated. She was wrestling with something. She wanted to talk about it, and she was telling me what she was struggling with at work or with family or whatever. And of course, Jim, typical male, I'm going to fix it. So I didn't show patience. I didn't show self-control. I didn't listen. But I started, tell, well, you need to do this, and you need to do that. Needless to say, that's not the way to do it. And I made a huge withdrawal from my emotional bank account. And if you're not familiar with emotional bank account, that's one of those things, think of it this way. Whenever you're in relationship with someone, especially your, your wife, listen guys, you make through your actions deposits in the emotional bank account. Every time you show love, kindness, actions, might be something you know you did the laundry for her when she wasn't feeling well. It could be anything like that. You're making an emotional bank account. The sad thing is, speaking for myself, I can wipe out weeks of deposits in a few seconds. Just one thing I said, and it's over. So take it from somebody that hasn't done this well. You want to make sure you always have a really large deposit in that emotional bank account. Um, Justin asked me to take the topic of faithfulness as he told me that he thinks that I'm a man of faithfulness. And I want to let you know I haven't always been that way. When I was in college, I was raised in a Christian home, had a good walk with the Lord through high school. Never tried alcohol, never did anything. But when I got into college, I felt free, right? I was going to do what I wanted to do. It was self. It's all about me, what I wanted to do. When I was my freshman year in college, I began to experiment with alcohol. My sophomore year in college, I was drinking at least once a week, every week. And by my junior year, you might see the wheels fell off. I was drinking numerous days every week. So 
it was not a good time. Well, the Lord provided, thanks to, I'm sure, a lot of prayers from my mom and dad. Um, and I was actually removed from that situation. I actually received a great job, got me out of the environment, sort of getting my walk with the Lord right again, and came to meet Debbie, the love of my life that I just told you about. So we all struggle with faithfulness in our life, don't we? Especially when it comes perhaps to faithfulness to one another. How often do we fail to do what we said we would do? Or how easy it is to just cut ties and walk away rather than work through conflict when we have conflict with another. It's way too easy to do that. And frankly, if you think about life in church, sometimes it's very easy to, if, if someone does something that hurts you in the body, well, I'm just going to find a new church. I'm going to walk away. As opposed to going to that person, as it says in Matthew, and working through it, reconciling it. Say, what you did hurt me, and working through that. And then to walk alongside the leaders of the church in faithfulness. So, how do we get faithfulness? Let's see what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, it describes God as faithful. And in Exodus chapter 34, Moses was chiseling the Ten Commandments out of stone. And in verses 4 through 7, it says, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiven wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with love and faithfulness. The Hebrew root word for faithfulness is emet. So say emet. Emet, okay. It means truth. There's another word in the church you might be familiar with that's related to that, and it's amen, which means that's truth. Emet has, the, has to do with stability and reliability. For example, as Moses and the Israelites were battling the Amalekites, Whenever Moses raised his hands, the Israelites would raise. So everybody raise your hands. So think about that. There's a battle raging. And as long as your hands are up, the Israelites are winning. But as soon as he began to lower them, I, I didn't say put them down yet. <laughs> Imagine holding them up for hours potentially as this battle's raging, right? It's tough. Go ahead and put them down. But Moses had a couple of men that brought a stone in for him to sit on. And as he sat there on the rock, his friends held his hands up until the battle was over and the, Israel, the Israelites were victorious. It says in Exodus 17, 12, that his hands were steady or he met until sunset. So again, the Bible says that God is a God of faithfulness. And some of you already know this because you've been through difficult times and you've watched God be faithful to you over and over again in the midst of tragedy, trauma, heartache, burdens, You've been there. You've seen his faithfulness. And when you want to talk about sorrow, etc., the book of Lamentations always comes to mind. I believe uh, Justin and Joel have both referred to passages in Lamentations, and I'm going to do it again today. So in chapter 3, it was basically a passionate expression 
of grief and sorrow. And the author was writing, he felt darkness. He'd suffered from broken bones, bitterness, hardship. He even felt that the Lord was shutting out his prayers and not hearing his prayer. And after all of that, in verses 22 and 23, he wrote, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And you may be going through a time like that right now where you're really struggling with something. God loves us and shows compassion to us, and he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross and be raised again so that we could have eternal life. So let's look at the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And when I saw protect you from the evil one, I immediately thought of one of my favorite verses, which is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I often share that with new believers after they're baptized here at Real Life. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when, not if, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The Bible says that God is a God of faithfulness. And I really realize there have been a few times in my life where I really struggle with anxiety. I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad had a dairy farm over in eastern Oregon, and they used to say that they bought 400 acres of rocks and sagebrush and turned it into a dairy farm. So if you've seen eastern Oregon, you know what I'm talking about. And the thing I want to tell you about my mom, she really struggled with anxiety, and I didn't really show Christ-like love to her many times. The thing you need to know about my mom, if she were alive today, she would be 97 years old. And you look at me, and you're like, he's not that old. How could his mom be 97, right? But she turned 40 three weeks after I was born. And the reason I'm setting this up this way, my mom lived through the Great Depression. My mom was the oldest daughter in her family. My mom had to make the food feed all these boys and girls and her parents. So she began to worry and have anxiety at a very, very young age. And I only see this now after she's gone. I never really, it never really occurred to me until after she had passed of why she was the way she was and she struggled with anxiety. And I can't tell you how many times I was like, come on, Mom, Matthew 6, 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Uh, each day has enough trouble of its own. Instead of trying to understand where she was coming from, understanding her and praying for her, I would try to fix her. And it's sad that I did that. I tried to quote scripture, move on. And again, we lost mom in August of 20, and I just pray that she forgives me for that. But the thing here is, in spite of my mom's anxiety, and in spite of my own anxiety, God is faithful. I'm still working through this, okay? God is faithful to help me grow and improve in my faithfulness and in other areas as well. And I'm more mature in understanding faithfulness now and I pray that my kids are even more understanding of faithfulness, even more than I do. So the key here is don't be discouraged by Satan because whenever I go through troubles, I always think that's Satan in there screwing with me, trying to distract my, my faith. And as Justin and I were going through this and in pre preparing for it, he said something that really hit me. It says we need to think legacy. 
We need to think long-term. And by that, we need to live in peace with whatever comes, whatever situation we're in. My wants and my needs cannot be satisfied apart from God. And we have to remember that. So I think the first time I realized I was struggling with worry and God's faithfulness was back in 2008. I was a field training manager for my company. Flew all over the western U.S., training associates, developing them. And as you recall, in 2008, there was a recession. A lot of company sales were declining, etc. And so I had a WebEx, a meeting invite pop in and for tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And then I looked at the attendees, and it not only had our team and our manager, it had the general manager for North America on it. I'm like, that's interesting. And then right after that, I had another one come in for 2 o'clock just with my manager. Again, that's interesting. Long story short, on that call, they said, hey, sales are declining. You guys spend a ton of money flying around the country. We need you to generate revenue, not drive expenses. You've all done a great job, but we're gonna, we've worked out positions for you. With, you know, we have jobs for you, et cetera. And your manager will be calling you later to discuss that. So again, I had a meeting scheduled for 2 o'clock with my manager. 2 o'clock, 2.30, 3, 3.30, 4, still no call. So needless to say, I was getting a little spun up, right? A little anxious about that. So finally at 4.30, I got a call from Rick, and he told me, he says, hey, he goes, Jim, I'm really sorry. We, We had a plan. We thought we had jobs that were locked and loaded, but... One of the regional vice presidents in the north didn't like what we were doing with one of your teammates, so we've been just told now to, he called HR, so we've now been told just to tell you to work with your area manager and figure out. So I basically went from, we've got a job, to we'll figure something out. So I let my anxiety spin up, and I put faith over, I mean, I put my fear over my faith. So basically, I was a wreck. I mean... I couldn't eat, I wasn't sleeping well. I lost over 20 pounds in four weeks. I was going to Justin, who was an associate pastor here at the time, and Bill Haydorn and saying, you know, please pray for me. And they were doing that. And eventually, I did receive an offer letter. So the Lord provided in his time, not in my time, right? And I got that offer letter on January 12th, which was about six weeks that I was spun out letting, you know, fear drive my faith, or fear distract me from my faith. But that's just it. In in retrospect, I knew it's head, we always say head, heart, hands here at Real Life Ministries. I knew the Lord would provide, but in retrospect, I really didn't believe it. I wasn't, I didn't have faith that he would provide. And what made matters a little worse was as a child on the farm, I can't tell you how many times I heard my dad said, If a man will not work, he should not eat. So I was thinking, I got to work. I got to work. You know, now I believe that that verse is actually saying that's for someone that's lazy and doesn't want to work, not somebody that wants to work and lost their job. But I basically let that fear take me to a very unhealthy place. And I wasn't trusting that the Lord would provide. So you may ask, how do you not allow your fear to distract you from walking faithfully. When I was doing the study, I found a quote from Dr. Andy Stanley. Thought it was really good. And it says, do not focus on how much faith you have, but rather focus on the object of your faith. Focus on God. 
The issue is not the size of my faith, but rather the size of my God. Is God bigger than my problem? Is God bigger than my need? Focus on God, not your faith or not your problem. Dr. Stanley then went in and he shared the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And if you're familiar with the story in Daniel chapter 6, um, Daniel was an administrator over a third of the nation. King Darius had 120 people that oversaw it, and there were three administrators that oversaw those 120. King Darius loved Daniel. He was a man of, he was a great man. He was honest. He had integrity, etc. And King Darius was actually thinking of putting Daniel over the entire country. Well, some of the other administrators saw this, they figured this out, and they knew that Daniel was faithful to God and that three times a day, Daniel would go face Jerusalem and pray. So they went to the king and they said, King, it's come to our attention that there are people in the kingdom here that are not praying, they're praying to other gods or other people other than you. We feel you should make a law that says if anyone prays to any God or any man other than you for the next 30 days, that they'd be thrown into a lion's den and killed. He's like, sounds like a good idea. And then they tricked him. They said, you need to put this in writing because as it says in the word, according to their culture, once a law was put into writing, it could not be rescinded or changed even by the king. So he did that. He put it in writing. So of course, they communicated this law can't pray to anyone other than the king. Daniel went to his room, as he always does. He was praying. They caught him. They went to the king and said, King Darius, Daniel, he's done this. Says he should be thrown into the lion's den. And that really saddened the king because the king loved him. Said he stayed up until almost nightfall, trying to think of a way to get him out. But because they said it's written, you can't rescind it, he said, okay. So they took him to the lion's den and I can see it. He put his hand on his shoulder as the way I envisioned this. And he said, Daniel, pray that your God will protect you. They throw him in, put a rock over the, the lion's den, sealed it. King went back to his palace where he was staying and he couldn't eat. Said he had no entertainment. It actually says he didn't sleep all night because he loved Daniel. So the next morning, first light, he ran to the lion's den. And he said, Daniel, did your God protect you? And he said, long live King Darius. He goes, I am safe. My God has protected me. So they took Daniel out of the, out of the lion's den and they took these administrators and had to pass this law and they threw them in with their families and they were immediately destroyed and killed. So I'm now going to put up a picture of this Daniel in the lion's den. So speak out. When you look at this picture, what do you see? Anyone? He's looking up. Yeah, he's looking up to God. He's not looking at the problem. He's not looking at the circumstance. He's faithful to God. And that's an example of how we need to be. We need to keep our eyes focused on God. So then let's now look at the New Testament. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, which is a faith chapter, verse 1, about what we do not see. And then in 11.6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards, rewards those that earnestly seek him. Here's the key point. God will give you clarity when you need it. Meanwhile, he wants you to trust him for the unseen, for the uncertain, and for the unclear. I'm going to say that again. 
He wants you to trust him for the unseen, for the uncertain, for the unclear. Again, easy to say, not easy to do. So you might be saying, what do you mean? Why would God allow this to happen to me? It could be a spouse that was unfaithful. It could be you were loyal to a company for 30 years and they discarded you. It might even be the loss of 21 precious souls in Texas recently. And you look at that and you're like, wow, how could that happen? And Deb and I don't go to a lot of movies, but we went to a movie a few years ago called The Shack. And it's kind of new age, has a lot of its ideas I didn't agree with, etc. But there was a quote in the movie and it really hit both of us hard. We thought, wow, this is really, really good. So here's the quote. The character playing God was speaking and said, just because I work incredible good out of unspeakable tragedies doesn't mean I have the tragedies. Don't ever assume that my using something means I caused it or need to accomplish, I need it to accomplish my purposes. That will only lead you to false notions about me. Grace doesn't depend on suffering to exist, but where there is suffering, you will find grace in many facets and colors. So God is faithful, and as his son or daughter, Jesus calls us to respond in faithfulness as he has been faithful to us. So I told you how I failed in faithfulness. Now let me tell you about a win story. So again, 2008, lost my job, got all kinds of spun out, put my fear over my faith. Well, as many of you may remember, because it's been a while, in 2020, there was a global pandemic called COVID-19, right? Now, my company, we sold cleaning and sanitizing products for restaurants, hotels, resorts, healthcare facilities. So if a restaurant was open at all, everything was to go. They're not dirtying the dishes. If a hotel was open, they're maybe instead of renting 100 rooms a night, they're renting five or six rooms a night. So needless to say, the core part of our business, the sales dropped off a cliff. And I told Deb, I think the Lord gave me the wisdom when he told me this, that my job could go away. Because I mean, I was in corporate accounts and I literally traveled every week. So I made 500 flights just on Delta in three years to give you perspective. Now, obviously we continued to work, but it was everything was through Zoom and WebExes, calls like that. But I told Deb, I said, this job could go away. So we need to pay off your car and we need to save as much money as we possibly can to prepare. And so I was pretty much at peace with it. And again, I trusted that the Lord would provide. Well, on October 7th of 2020, I got a call from HR and they ended a over 30 year career with a seven minute phone call. But here's the thing that's really cool. When I got that call, I was like, oh man, here we go. I knew it. And my anxiety started to creep up and immediately they said, but due to your 30 years of employment, we're gonna give you a really nice severance package. Ears perked up and they said 49 and a half weeks of pay. Think about that, almost a full year of pay. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And then they said, in addition to that, you have 24 days of unused vacation. We're gonna pay for that as well. So right there, I mean, I, we were set for a year and I was so thankful. But October 30th was my last day. And then fast forward the first of 21, they started getting the vaccines. I'm a type one diabetic. I've had it for over 50 years. So I was definitely gonna make sure I had both doses on board before I went anywhere. I had that. 
And the Lord, through my daughter, provided me a job. Because she said, Dad, we're so short-staffed, I really need your help. Now, I took the job. I kind of had an ulterior motive because she was seven months pregnant with our first grandchild. So I thought that would enable me to keep an eye on Taylor and make sure she's not overdoing it at work. But long story short, I had my severance pay coming in and I had that pay coming in. And then the end of July of 21, one of my best friends offered me a job selling UV disinfection, which met our needs. And again, that was on top of the severance pay that ran out in the end of September. And then I had that job until uh, the, the first of March. I actually, the Lord provided us another job that I, I still can't believe, but I may, not only meets our needs, but it again enables us to save for our retirement. So the Lord was faithful and he provided for us again and again and again through that. So it's just amazing how the Lord can do that for us. But we have to be aware of it. He's always going to provide our needs. He will always provide our needs. So some things I'd like you to think about. Do you consider yourself a faithful person that displays faithfulness? So we're going to do a little bit of a quiz here. So the first question is, what rules your life? And I call out John that's been over here, our bass player. He's wearing a faith over fear shirt. So I think this is very appropriate. What rules your life, faith or fear? And I saw a quote as I was doing the study. It said, faith over fear. If you have found yourself at any point of your life being fearful, that is understandable. No one is above feeling fear, and it doesn't signal a lack of faith either. Feeling fear is okay, but operating out of that fear and allowing it to control our minds and our actions isn't okay. Rather than reacting in fear, we can respond to our fear in faith. Second question, what are your eyes set on? Are they set on your circumstances or are they set on God? Are you a person described as reliable and stable character or trustworthy? Are you loyal? Are you dependable? Do you show up on time or early every time? Now, when I think of that, show up on time, I think of, again, my mom. Because when I was in high school, we lived eight miles from high school. I had a car. I would drive myself to school my junior and senior year. And I had this thing where I'd try to, like, walk in class right before it started. So I wouldn't be tardy, but I sure wasn't going to be early. And my mom was always on me, you're going to be late, you're going to be late, you're going to be late. There was one day she said, hey, Jim, I need you to put the, mail this letter for me. And our mailbox at the farm was a half mile from the house. So I got in my car, driving in, parked the car. And I go back to my car, and I hear, psss, tires going down. No problem. I'm going to be late. Spare. Get the jack, take it off, put it on, get it going, set it down. The spare is flat. So I now have to humbly walk a half mile back to the house and then probably another half mile out into the field to find my dad to say, Dad, I need a ride to school. And... Leading us to say, I missed the first two periods of my class. So, Dad loved to share stories like that with my mom. I don't know if you can relate. So, because I sure wasn't going to tell her. <laughs> but we were at dinner, and he told her what happened. And here's the key. This was so good when she told me this, and it really it helped me and changed me throughout my life. She goes, that's your problem, Jim. You'd be late if you have to swerve to miss a cat. Think about that. And she was right. 
I was always pretty tight. One little swerve, I would have been late. So we get to show the world the faithfulness of our God by being a faithful people no matter what we face. So let's ask ourselves, what would it look like if we live this way? What if we prayed for all of our family instead of perhaps cursing some of them? What if we prayed for our leaders, our president, instead of slander? What if we showed our kids what a faithful marriage looks like because of our faithful God instead of quitting? What if we were generous because we knew God was faithful to supply every need? So we come to the take home now. So ask yourself, am I faithful to God? Am I faithful to my family? This one hits me hard because there were many times in my life I was more faithful to Ecolab than I was to my family. And a story always comes to mind when I think of that, and that was our son Austin was in the first grade in Illinois. I was a district manager. In first grade soccer games, well, they run 30, 40 minutes, something like probably. Um, we were at a soccer game. My phone rings. I'm on the phone throughout the entire game. And that's just one example of where I put Ecolab above my family. So men and ladies both, take it from someone who failed in this area. Put your phone away. Make your kids your priority. Make your family your priority. Because I didn't do that well. Next question. Am I faithful to my leaders? Could be at government. Could be at work. Am I faithful to my neighbors and coworkers? Am I looking for opportunities to show the world God's faithfulness? Am I truly trusting God's faithfulness? God is faithful. Why? Because he never gives up on me or on us. He did whatever it took to save me from my self-ruled life, my selfishness. And that's why God is faithful. We're now going to come to our time of communion. I was going to say we're going to have some ushers pass out the communion. So if you did not get one, just raise your hand and they'll get you one. And I would just ask that you think about the message today as we go into this time. Think about how you can be more faithful to God and faithful to others.